I know you don't release contract figures. Is that still stand, or can you let us know what you? Well, all I can for? tell you is it's too long and it's too much money. <laughs> <laughs> so well, that, that's. I mean, you want the truth? No, no, no. <laughs> well, well, that that was going to lead into my next point. Is... Next question. <laughs> It's too long and it's too much money. That was the line of the weekend. There are a few great lines over this weekend. That was a line of the weekend from New York Islanders general manager Lou Lamarillo. We're going to talk plenty about Bo Horvat today. We're going to talk plenty about the All-Star. We're going to break down a couple of things about a really interesting night uh, as the NHL returns to action this evening. Uh, and David Amber is going to stop by here in a couple of moments. Elliot Friedman is on a plane on his way back. He got delayed and the flight was canceled yesterday. He'll be back on the show tomorrow. So a couple of things from uh, Lou Lamorello. Was it just me or did anyone think at that point maybe Lou Lamorello was clapping back to a statement that he made about the Ilya Kovalchuk contract where he pretty much intimated the exact same thing, too much term and too much money. We tried to find the clip. It somehow vanished on the internet. If anyone can produce it and send it along over the next two hours here on the show, we'd be happy to play it. In the meantime, this is what Lamorello said when the Devils signed Ilya Kovalchuk once upon a time. It feels like a million years ago, doesn't it? But it was probably closer to five minutes ago. Here is what Lamorello once said about the Ilya Kovalchuk signing. You'd have to speak to ownership about that. Ooh, that's usually the kiss of death, by the way, when a GM says, well, I've done all I can do. I'm throwing it up to ownership now. Uh, you'd have to speak to ownership about that. The commitment that ownership has made here this is a commitment and a decision they wanted to make for this type of player. And all I can do is say whether the player is a player that will fit into the team, can help the team, and is not a risk as a player as far as what the financial commitment is and that aspect of it, that was out of my hands. I was stunned when I first heard that from Lou back in the Devil's days with Eli Kovarchuk, and I'm still stunned even reading it all these years later. But we're talking about Bo Horvat, and here becomes the question, and it's a pretty simple one. Can Bo Horvat save the New York Islanders? How many times have we said this season, the math doesn't look good? It doesn't look good for the Islanders. They're going to need... They're going to need a hit to hit a home run come trade deadline to move this thing forward and get themselves into the playoffs. One of the areas where the New Jer- where the uh, New Jersey Devils, the New York Islanders have really fallen down is the power play. It is now, checks notes, 32nd in the NHL. 15.5%. That is their power play. It is atrocious. Bo Horvat is one of the best power play players in the entire NHL. Not just goals, he has 11 of them, power play but face-offs as well. That instantly makes your power play better to say nothing of how Horvat plays five-on-five. Now, I know I can hear the hues and the cries and the screams saying, well, they need wingers. They don't need more centers. The Islanders are fine down the middle. To which I always come back with, I don't think I've ever heard a team in the history of me either being a fan of the NHL or covering the NHL or covering hockey at any level for that matter, whether it's pro, amateur, whatever. I don't think I've ever heard a coach or a manager say these words. Well, the problem with our team was we had too many centers. I can assure you that's never been said, ever. 
You have a chance to get Bo Horvat. You go and get Bo Horvat. The extension is uh, eight times five, eight point five million dollars times eight years. He'll wear number fourteen for the New York Islanders. Number fifty-three, of course, with Casey Zizekas. Uh, Horvat had been wearing number fifty-three, which is the flip of thirty-five worn by the late Ian Jenkins. Going back to the London Knights days. Just as a quick aside, man, I always, I had always hoped that the number 14 one day was going to be retired by the New York Islanders for Bob Bourne, who I thought was a key piece of that dynasty. And if you ask any of the players, they'll tell you the exact same thing. I was really hoping, holding out hope, that uh, that Bob Bourne's number 14 was going to be retired by the Islanders, just as an aside. So happy for Horvat. Eh, disappointed that that number doesn't get retired. But now, and I know plenty of players have worn 14 since Bourne retired, since Bourne moved on, but I was always hoping the 14 got retired by the Islanders. So $8.5 million per season. So beginning of the season, there was a lot of talk about what Bo Horvat would command on the open market. And I think a lot of people in Vancouver never imagined for one second that it was going to be that high. But if you looked at the marketplace and you looked at the position that Bo Horvat plays and you look at the competition for services in the offseason, and I know now all of our attention turns to Dylan Larkin and what he might command, this is a premium player who's going to command a premium price to the part where I would suspect that if he would have hit the market and whether it was a team like the Boston Bruins because who knows with Bergeron and Krejci, um, a team like the Philadelphia Flyers, because who knows with Sean Couturier and his situation, someone would have probably paid Bo Horvat nine. So when there was the entire speculation about, oh, you look at, oh, maybe the comparable is Ryan Nugent Hopkins here for, for Bo Horvat, not a chance. This is the contract that Horvat was headed to anyway. And this season, where he's having the career year, just hitting it out of the park, that just cemented it. So that's Horvat. Six games on the board around the NHL tonight, including the Islanders and the Philadelphia Flyers, who are a chance to watch Horvat in action tonight. And when you think of these two teams, certainly recently, uh, you think it can get pretty nasty, and it already has. We go back to November 29th, and uh, whether it's Nick Delorier fighting Ross Johnson, whether it's Zach McEwen fighting, Zach McEwen fighting Matt Barton, these two teams don't like each other. And now there's a couple of new wild cards into this one. Namely, the Islanders have a serious shot at the wild card, just made themselves better, and your first chance to watch Bo Horvat in an Islanders jersey. With that, we'll uh, kick off the program. David Amber on the other side. Welcome to the Merrick Show. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. All right, welcome back to the program. Coming up at the bottom of the hour, Andrew Gross from Newsday. We'll, uh, we'll talk about a couple of things. We'll talk about Bo Horvat, the new extension, the Islanders, and also there was a little bit of overlap between Gross and Lou Lamarillo when he was covering the New Jersey Devils. We'll uh, see if we can get some uh, some more Lou stories out of Andrew. Uh, random Player of the Day kicks off Hour 2, and Kelly Rudy from the NHL on Sportsnet and Hockey Night in Canada. Also, Elliot and I sat down last, was it Friday, um, and spot All-Star in Florida and talked to Elias Pettersson. We'll play five or six minutes from that interview. Uh, the entire piece you can find as part of the 32 Thoughts podcast that just came out or video of the interview is available at our Sportsnet YouTube channel. Uh, in the meantime, David Amber, who's freshly back from Florida as well. How did you make it out alive, Amber? How did you not get flooded like Elliot did? <laughs> I, I took the very first flight out on... 
Sunday morning. Um, so clearly I, I was more eager to get back to my family than, than Elliot, who I think was what a three or four o'clock PM last night. I don't know what to say. By the way, I'm walking my dog right now. I listen to the show basically every day and Elliot's in the shower or God forbid on the toilet or doing something. There's a lot of noise in the background. Um, do you want me to make you feel at home? Do you want me to like make bump around or get into traffic or something? Yeah, that's good. Get around honking horns, preferably get around an area that's really windy as well. So you have to yell into the receiver or your headset or wherever you're using right now and make sure your mouth is right on the phone. So it sounds like you're eating it. That's uh, that's yeah. true. Elliot Friedman. That's true. Elliot Friedman style to make all of our listeners feel uh, right at home. Well, well, first of all, listen, before we get to some of the games tonight, I do want to ask you about uh, the Horvat contract. Um, and Bo Horvat and the Islanders in general, who now have become maybe the most interesting team in the NHL. Uh, what were your takeaways from All-Star? Like, I know we did a lot of, there was a lot of grousing about, you know, timing and skills comp and what they should do differently and what they can do better. Um, what were your takeaways from All-Star this time around? Well, I'm glad you said that, Jeff. And there, there was a lot of hand-wringing and a lot of, you know, debate and, you know, one thing I'll say is the hockey community, more so than any other professional sport, they just, they kind of, we, we, we collectively love to tear down the product we love so much. You know, like I come home and, and I flip on the TV and, and the Pro Bowl yesterday, have you seen what the NFL Pro Bowl was devolved into? Yeah, yesterday when they were playing playing football, the day before they were playing beach volleyball, like they sort of accept it and either embrace it or you, or you just take it as a little reprieve from the game for a few days. I think there's just a little bit too much uh, angst surrounding All-Star Weekend. Do I think it needs to be shorter than skills? Absolutely. Do I think they need to revamp some things or at least look at some different uh, you know, ideas? A hundred percent. It's not going to cater to everyone. It's certainly not going to cater to hardcore hockey fans. And it's, it's a showcase of the players. It's a showcase of the game. It's not the game, right? There's no hitting. There's no blocking shots. There's no mm. fighting. There's no physicality that's not really what this is so i think people sort of we just need to sort of take a step back accept what it is tweak it as best we can keep the players engaged and get on with our lives and it really is just meant to be a place where the players can go and celebrate the fact they're having great seasons and allow the fans and the sponsors you know to brush elbows with the best players in the game but you know having said that i i agree i think we got to find we're going to tweak it a little bit, but I just I, I think the angst surrounding All-Star Weekend is a little bit overdone, and that's sort of what we collectively do in the hockey community probably a little bit too much generally is, is you know, kind of crap on our own product and, you know, instead of just embracing what we do like about it. You know, it's, uh, the, the way that I look at the actual game or games uh, as they're played now is I expect this to be the best beer league game of the year. Like, that's how we look at it, like the actual games. Like, this is essentially a beer league game, and this is going to be the best beer league game you see anywhere. Um, the, the one thing that is, that is really obvious is that the NHL wants to make sure that the players are comfortable and have a good experience and that there aren't too many demands placed on them. I think it was, you know, it's very deliberate having this thing in Florida, um, the NHL outside of St. Louis. And I think that's because the NHL, I don't know what it was, but you know how, you know, uh, teams get owed certain things after a while. I think they owed something to St. Louis. And that's why the All-Star game was there. But generally over the last few years, it's been down south. It's been in, you know, uh, warm locations. And it's a lot easier to get as many players as possible out there. No one's going to beg off when it's, you know, somewhere like Fort Lauderdale. Did you hear much of the chatter or much of the discussion around the idea? Because it was, it's very much been out there for a little while now 
the idea of creating a like six or seven or five or six um, market loop, which makes it easier for players to say yes and is very comfortable in February. There's not snow and ice and snow squalls. There's beach and there's sun. So you think about, you know, whether it's Tampa, whether it's Florida, I think other locations you would look at, probably Vegas, which was a real home run, maybe Dallas. Um, these types of, of warmer climates and create a sort of... I know I can hear like 30 other NHL teams, you know, or 25 other NHL teams screaming about this saying, you know, it's a cookie here. It raises money. It helps the profile. What about us as well but did you hear much of the talk about this idea of just creating a sunshine loop for the all-star game to ensure that uh players can bring their families down and have an enjoyable and relaxing time we've heard rumblings about for a little while that you know there are some certainly some fans and maybe some players who would like more of a super bowl rotation you know where it's as we said, warm weather destinations and vacation destinations. Gary Bettman in his uh, news address to the media was asked specifically about that um, on uh, Saturday, and he said, look, this is something that a lot of teams lobby for. They see it's a great way to showcase their city. It's a great way to inject money into their local economy. I think he suggested that somewhere in the neighborhood of 20 to $25 million, I believe was the number he used, would be injected into South Florida over the course of the weekend with all the events taking place, et cetera, and merchandise, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, hotels. Um, so that's not insignificant. And, you know, I don't think we're going to get to that stage. I, Commissioner Bevan made a point of saying, like, every different market deserves that opportunity to showcase uh, why their hockey market is unique and special. And, you know, like coming back to Toronto next year, one of the first questions after they announced it coming to Toronto, someone, I can't remember who it was, but, wow, it's going to be really cold there compared to here. And, you know, Commissioner Bevan kind of struggled. It's like, you know, it is hockey. It is a winter sport, right? And, you know, the beauty of coming to a place like Toronto, and they've been, you know, in Montreal in the past, is it'll, it'll feel very different, yes, with the temperature, but it'll also feel different in a good way. Uh, we'll be able to have a great alumni game, um, a really cool alumni game yeah. next year, a really great Legends game if they choose to do that. I mean, the best all-star experience I can remember personally was back in, I think it was 2017, going to Los Angeles, and it was the 100th anniversary, and they trotted out the 100 greatest players of all time. And, you know, they yeah. had this incredible celebrity game where, you know, we all remember Pronger taking Dustin Bieber to the board chart. Like, it was fun, and it felt big. It felt like, wow. And in Toronto, you'll have the ability, in many respects, to, to do that, play up the passion and history of the game in a way that you maybe couldn't do it in South Florida. So I do think there's justification to going to all sorts of different markets. I don't think it should just make it, hey, great, it's a reprieve uh, to be in the sun. But, but I also do think you made a really good point. The players need to embrace it. They need to feel comfortable. And that's really important because one thing is, regardless of where the NBA All-Star game is, players are throwing big parties. They want to be invited to the All-Star game. They're angry when they're not included. Yeah. Um, you know, they treat it like it's, it's a three-day, like, blowout. And we saw some of that. Um, and we need to get to that stage where I think the players embrace it. It's like, oh, there's going to be a lot of fun. Sure, I'm not going maybe down to Bahamas or Turks and Caicos and, or Mexico where a lot of the players have gone, but I'm going to go do something that's going to be really cool and with all, all my peers who are at the top of the game. So I think that's what we have to strive for, but I don't see it going into a Super Bowl rotation. I think it's going to be uh, shifted market to market based on you know opening a new arena or et cetera, different criteria that the league's going to factor in. 
Or buying a franchise. All right, uh, turning yeah. the page on All-Star. Oh, boy. Uh, the Bo Horvat saga takes uh, another turn here. So the contract extension, it's an eight-year deal. It's $8.5 million on the AAV. Um, I, I still think that if you hit the market, he gets a number with a nine in front of it. Um, but $8.5 million, no one's going to cry for Bo Horvat. Um, it's a real nice contract. We'll see him tonight as the Islanders face off against the Philadelphia Flyers. Um, what did you think when you first heard this bit of news yesterday that Horvat was done and the decimal point was between an eight and a five? Well, listen, I, I think, first of all, we all assumed, you know, Lou Lamarillo is no fool. He wasn't going to just bring him in there. He wasn't just going to bring him in there for nothing uh, without having the assurances of yeah. being able to lock him down. So I think that was probably the very first thing. Like, the expectation was he was going to sign a, a long-term deal there. Um, however, I mean, you know, in the three, four days leading up to it, you know, I started talking with other people in the hockey community, and they're like, well, maybe he's going to go down there and sort of see if it's a good fit for him. I mean, living in New York uh, or around Long Island uh, is very different than living in Vancouver. And and knowing that the marketplace would be wide open. I mean, I kept saying in my head, I wonder what the best place for Bo Horvat is. Maybe the best place would have been Buffalo. You know, like this up-and-coming young team as opposed to one of the older skewing teams in the Islanders. And he's from London, Ontario. It's in close proximity. His wife's also from Ontario. Like, I thought maybe there was, maybe that was what he was going to do is sort of feel his way out to the open market um, and sort of see how he likes Long Island between now and, and, you know, March 3rd, between now and trade deadline. So part of me was kind of interested in seeing this play out a little bit, but I totally understand it from his standpoint. Uh, I think it's a very fair contract, and we heard Lou Lamarillo's comments towards it, which were very funny, you know. He said it tongue-in-cheek. I just want to make that. I mean, he probably does feel yes. that way, but he just said it with a bit of a smirk on his face, too long and too much money. <laughs> but yeah. most GMs would say that about almost every contract. Um, as far as where he slots in, I think – for everything he brings. Do I think this is a guy who's going to score 50 goals for the next eight years? No. Do I think this is a guy who's going to be a, a complete pillar up the middle, is going to win the large majority of draws, um, you know, and, and does a lot of, and provides a great leadership role? I think the contract makes a lot of sense. And Elliot, you know, made a very good point um, a couple shows ago with you where he said, you know, look at the Islanders' power play. And the fact that he wins, you know, 65% of draws, Yep. Uh, on the power play, you're starting out with a puck. You're in possession, you know, 65% of the time. That's saving you uh, a lot of zone pressure, a lot of puck possession, and essentially scoring opportunities. So this could provide a little bit of a spark offensively for New York, and I think the contract is pretty commensurate with everything that Bo, Hor Bo Horvat brings to the table. Will this contract look good in six, seven years? I don't know. But the large majority of these eight-year deals that are signed right now, we have those exact questions. Oh, is I going to look good when he hits 35? Yeah. Well, we don't know that. But, yeah, that's a very, you're doing this for short-term gain, not necessarily for years seven and eight. Um, uh, I'm going to be doing more here on Horvat at the bottom of the hour, so I want to turn the page and I want to get some. I want to park some time by, you know, talking about the Flames game tonight, the Vancouver game tonight. It's Flames and the Rangers, the Canucks and the New Jersey Devils. Um, but let me ask you about because I, when I heard it, I kind of thought of you because I'm like, oh, this is something that Amber loves digging into stuff like this. When you heard Crosby say he'd be in favor of one to eight for the uh, for the postseason, what went through your mind? Um, I, I would be too. I, you know, again, I think there's an ebb and a flow to it, but I mean, all we got to do is think about what's going to shake down most likely come, you know, middle April when we have the first round and you have three of the top, 
you know, five or six teams in the NHL parked in the Atlantic division, and you're going to see a top five team lose out in the first round because of that. And we've seen it in other divisions in previous years. Yeah. Um, I, I love, theoretically, I love the idea of, oh, okay, we're going to create these rival divisions and they're going to see each other every year in the playoffs. It really just hasn't played out that way. We haven't seen the Islanders versus the Rangers. We've seen one battle of Alberta. We barely seen Montreal versus Toronto. That took a, a Canadian division to get that done. We just haven't seen those rivalries, you know, um, play out the way we had hoped they would. The Anaheim and LA's and all the rest, the, the geographical or historical rivalries. It just hasn't played out. And, um, and I think there hasn't been as maybe as much of a distinct advantage you know, to winning your division or to finishing second in your division, you know, it's certainly in the least case this year, if they finish second or Tampa finishes second, that's a really tough first-round opponent um, as opposed to facing, you know, arguably, let's say, the seventh-best team in your conference. So I understand what Sid's saying, and I, um, and I, I don't disagree. I mean, you and I are the same vintage, Jeff. And we actually grew up where it was one versus yep. 16 for a while there, right? I remember Toronto taking on the Atlanta oh, yeah. but in the, in the first round when it was back to best of three. Like, um, I don't think it's yep. perfect. I get travel. I get, I understand a lot of the, you know, everything is in relation. You can't just look at it as, as Commissioner Bettman was asked about this, but you can't just look at it in a vacuum. And I think that's very true. Um, but I do think there's a way to make it, you know, where you reseed and you, you really are trying to give a discernible advantage to the team that had a better regular season. Cause right now it doesn't seem that way in most matchups. Uh, I don't know if you and I have talked about it. I've mentioned it here uh, a few times and on the podcast. I'm my favorite idea still, and I know you got to get over like hurt feelings, but I still like the idea of choosing your opponent in the first round. You're the best team in the conference. Okay, you pick first. You pick first. You choose who you're playing. It is it, it is automatic interest in any single series, and you create underdogs, and you create you know. Uh, uh, corkboard material, like, like right away. And to say, like, David, you're a longtime TV guy. As a TV property, if you essentially had the playoff draft where teams can select who they, who they face off in the first round and it's a one-night TV event, what are the numbers for that like? Oh, like it's, it's, it's insane. Absurd. Absurd. Like, let's find out our playoff bracket, basically. Like, it would be it would be nuts. And then the scrutiny, you know, would never sign off on this idea is the GMs because they would just be absolutely destroyed, right? You pick a team and they end up sweeping you. It's like, <laughs> oh, my God. Um, listen, you know, yeah. was it the ECHL in the back who did it? There, um, there, there have been semi-pro. Right? There, there, there have been, yeah, there have been minor pro leagues that have that have tried this before. So oh, this okay. isn't like this. This is. I think it was two years. I can't remember which league was it. Was the SPH? I can't remember which league it was. But they, this has mm-hmm. been this has been tried before. I remember when it popped up. I'm like, I can't believe someone's actually going with this idea that I thought about like ten years ago as a goof. And then the more that I thought about, it, I'm like, I actually really like this as as an it entertainment be- property. It, it, listen, I, I definitely think, you know, I, I don't think it will, that would ever get traction. Do I think there'd be an entertainment value to it? Absolutely. I think fans might really embrace it. And it would, you want to talk about creating a rivalry. That's how you create a rivalry, you know, yeah. with the fourth pick Bingo. in the 2023 NHL Family Cup playoff draft, <laughs> we choose to meet, you know, like it would be, it'd be like, okay, yes. on, let's go, let's do this. So, 
Yeah, I think from an entertainment yeah. standpoint, it's great. I, I, I'm sure, you know, there's a lot of people in the executive levels would be rolling their eyes and seeing it's just, this is way too gimmicky. And logistically, you know, logistics could be a, a massive issue. Okay, we're an East Coast team. We're going to, you know, maybe choose a team on the West Coast or whatever the case may be to force travel. So I could see, I could see, I could see holes in it, but just from a straight up fun kind of dramatic, you know, thing that could happen, it would be, it would be tremendous. Okay, enough of my goofiness. Um, the games tonight. So, uh, Rogers Monday Night Hockey this evening. Uh, a pair of games, the Calgary Flames, the New York Rangers, the Vancouver Canucks, and the New Jersey Devils. Calgary heading out on a, uh, a four-game road trip. Picked up a couple of, uh, you know, some reinforcements in Pelche and Gilbert as well. What are you looking for in this one, the Rangers and the Flames? Well, the Rangers have been fantastic. Uh, you know, they kind of rode off the first 25 games of the season, and since then, I think they're like 16, 4, and 3. Or they, They've had incredible run, and they've been doing it defensively. Uh, they've become that team again that they were in the Stanley Cup playoffs. They've only allowed more than three goals one time in their last 23 games. So this is not going to be a high-scoring game by all accounts. Um, maybe what I'm most interested in, and I'm, I'm out with my dog right now, so I actually don't know if it's been announced, but who's going to start in goal for Calgary? Because Dan Vladar has been much more stable, goaltender, consistent. You know, I, I'm interested, you know, these are important points. The Calgary Flames are fifth in their division. They're just six points out of first. Like, that Pacific division, is gonna, it's going to be such a race for the playoffs. It's going to be tremendous. Uh, but every point matters. And having a chance to talk to Nassim Kadri a little bit um, at All-Star Weekend, I said, are you guys starting to get your groove a little bit? And he's like, yeah, we're starting to feel a little bit better. It's, he, he, you know, concedes they obviously haven't got off to the start that they'd hoped for. And consistent goalie, you know, goaltending would go a long way. You know, their, their save percentage is 25th in the league this year. So it's hard to win games when your save percentage is as low as the Calgary Flames has been. And that's not to put it all on the goaltending. But kind of like New York with Shesterkin, they need that superlative goaltending to really, I think, create their identity of a team that can grind out wins. So I'm interested to see, you know, Calgary have a four-game road trip. This is very important to get back off on the right foot the second start, the second half of the season. And if they're able to kind of get that identity back. Because, you know, everything's leading up to trade deadline, right, Jeff? Like, you, you know, you and Elliot, all the work oh, you're yeah. doing is trying to figure out what's going to happen on, on March 3rd. And Brad Trey remains on record saying, you know, it's not, I'm not making a decision on what we're going to do. The players are making a decision. You know, so if Calgary wants yep. the reinforcements, if they want to really kind of make a, a bona fide chase to the cup, um, which a lot of people predicted they had a good chance to make, including me, then let's see what they're going to do over the next three and a half weeks. And if they're very inconsistent and they're middling again and, it's March 3rd, and, and they're still fifth in the Pacific. I don't imagine Brad Trey Living is going to go chase, you know, um, at least he yeah. won't chase hard because that would cost. That would be really, you know, difficult with the future of this franchise. But if they can get their bearings a little bit, have a strong four-game road trip, and, and pick up some positioning in the Pacific, who's to say they're not in contention to pick up one of the big names that has been, you know, bandied about as being available? There's so many good ones coming up to, to March 3rd. Absolutely. And uh, real quick, uh, Eric Francis tweeting out the lines from MSG this morning for the Flames. And it is Jacob Markstrom in net for Calgary tonight. All right. Well, that's interesting. Listen, I, I, no one would love him to get his game back together more than the Flames, obviously. Like, he just, you know, he needs to get back to that Vesna caliber guy. And, and if that does happen, if there's a bit yeah. of a market correction with how he plays, look out. The Flames, to me, will be a very, very tough out. they got to get Chris Hanna back is out as well. 
he's out with an injury right now. So um, I still love the Flames, um, but they got to start showing themselves uh, that identity that we saw in them the last couple of years. Uh, one team's adding, one team is subtracting New Jersey and Vancouver. Uh, the previous game you can watch on East-West, and tonight is on Ontario and Pacific uh, for the New Jersey Devils and the Vancouver Canucks. Give us a hot 30 on these teams. What intrigues you about Vancouver, who just opened up some cap space by putting Ilya Mikheyev on long-term injuries? That opens up just under $5 million. And listen, I think we're all trying to marry Timo Meyer to the New Jersey Devils. Are you one of those people, David? Um, I could definitely see a fit there. Uh, the Devils, I think, slowly are making believers out of a lot of a lot of um, you know of, of the experts and the detractors out there. Uh, I'll even I'll ratchet things up to even a hotter hotter space for you tonight on Rogers Monday Night okay. Hockey. We're going to debate a possible trade. We're going to throw out a possible, and this is all just hypothetical. There's no attachment to this to anything. But imagine if yeah. the Devils go hard to try and get Quinn Hughes, and then they have the, the trifecta of Hughes on their team. What kind of deal would it take for the Devils to get Quinn Hughes? We would never at the start of the season think that Quinn Hughes would ever be even tradable, but they made it clear Pedersen is the only non-touchable or untouchable, which means, you know, the Demkos and the, and the Quinn Hughes and everyone else, there's a possibility. So I'm, we're going to kind of walk through a hypothetical. What would it take possibly in, our, in one, of our, um, one of our segments to get Quinn Hughes to New Jersey so you have him reunited with his two brothers, which would be a really cool story. If no, if nobody throws the name out there, David, as a as a favorite, can you throw out the name Luke Hughes, going the other one of the players going the other way back, which I guess kind of defeats the purpose of putting Quinn Hughes together. Uh, that's a good one. Okay. We'll, uh, we'll look forward to that. Uh, it's the Devils and the Canucks, the Rangers, and the Flames tonight. Rogers, Monday night hockey. Thanks, DA. Thanks for pinch hitting today. Much appreciated. Enjoy the games tonight. Yeah, you as well. Thanks for having me on, Jeff. There he is. Uh, walking his dog. There we go. We get the uh, the walk with segment. Uh, normally, it's with Elliot. And it's normally Elliot walks in a wind tunnel. Uh, but today, we got DA walking his dog. So thanks to our man, David Amber. Uh, the action begins tonight, 7 o'clock Eastern, with Rogers Monday Night Hockey. Again, the Flames and the Rangers, the Canucks and the Devils. Uh, the puck drops in uh, both of those locations at The Rock and at MSG at 7.30 Eastern. Taking a break, uh, more on Bo Horvat and the New York Islanders, who now have become... Super interesting with the addition last week of Bo Horvat and the contract extension, which is now done, which will earn number 14 on your Islanders $8.5 million a season starting next year. Uh, we'll talk about Bo Horvat here in a couple of moments. Also still to come, we're going to have the random player of the day, Kelly Rudy from Hockey Night, but Andrew Gross from Newsday on the Islanders. And what's next? And can Bo Horvat save this team? Islanders talk in moments. Merrick Show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network simulcast on Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet Now. Keep it here. Covering the Raptors in depth like no one else. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. Hour two on the horizon. Random player of the day. It's a good one. Going back to the 70s and 80s for this one. Kelly Rudy from uh, Hockey Night in Canada and the NHL on Sportsnet will be aboard as well. Kelly, a former Islander, I'm sure has been watching the Bo Horvat saga unfold closely. 
And a uh, new chapter yesterday as Horvat signs an eight-year contract extension with Lou Lamarillo's team, AAV 8.5. Here from Newsday is our friend Andrew Gross. Andrew, how are you today, pal? What's going on? Hey, Jeff. How you been? Good to hear. Uh, good to talk to you. Yeah, great to, great to catch up. And it's, uh, well, well, first of all, I, I do appreciate, and I couldn't help but thinking that maybe it was a wink back to, you know, how he addressed the Ilya Kovalchuk contract once upon a time where he essentially said, ah, it's, it's out of my hands. This is one that was made by ownership. Um, yesterday, Lamarillo saying, too much term, too much money, you know, grumpy old guy, you know, Muppet shakes fist uh, from the gondola. How did uh, how did you see like when you first heard the news yesterday? Like the rest of us, when you when you found out this was an eight year extension and it was eight point five per season, how did you react, Andrew? Well, I, I mean, they, they they obviously had to lock him up after after trading away their top top prospect in the organization, right? Uh, in, in Atu Ratu, and also giving up another first round yeah. pick there clearly in win now mode and uh, they as Lou said they wouldn't have made this deal if they weren't looking to uh, lock him up I'm sure they had a good sense of what number would get it done uh, from Pat Morris you know and it was just a matter of them meeting that number and uh, you know uh, they they met it fairly quickly 8.5 I thought it might come in closer to you know 8 by 8 you know, instead of yep. 8.5. But uh, honestly, at that point, if that's what it takes to get it done, uh, Lou knows it's the price of business in the NHL. And, uh, you know, it clearly, Lou, Lou, is, Lou has been in win-now mode since he took over the Devils in 87. He does not believe in rebuilds or retooling or anything like that. Every season is an opportunity to yeah. win the Stanley Cup. And they, they they had to get the deal done, and uh, you know I'm sure there was a lot of back and forth uh, between Bo, For- Bo Horvat and his family with uh, you know his new teammates and you know wives and all of that, just getting a sense of whether he felt he would be comfortable on Long Island. And the one thing about the Islanders that you can't take away from him is it is a really great room. It is a really solid core. Of players and I think once Bo Horvat mm-hmm. and his wife came to the conclusion that this is a place that they would be comfortable in then and you know if they met them if they met the number it, it was a no-brainer for him to sign you know one of the things um that we've talked about a few times about the Islanders and Horvat is you know the Islanders have a lot of players on this team that are represented by Newport and that's, that's always kind of a sidebar, but what it really does indicate, and I think Horvat is now the sixth player that Newport has on the New York Islanders. It's just like there's that level of comfort that yeah. the, um, that that Newport Sports has with the New York Islanders, and like as one person described it to me, who's done deals with Newport before, the the way that it always goes is you know right towards the end, uh, Newport will sort of. Con- not, not concede, but we'll, we'll come down on the price a little bit by saying, oh, you know, we recommended, you know, a 9.5 for Horvat, but, you know, he's just so dedicated to this team. He's willing to take the, the classic, this goes back to Donnie Meehan, back to the, you know, first, you know, Pat LaFontaine contract, but that's always sort of been that Newport style. Um, but, I mean, Lou Lamarillo has done a number of deals with, you know, a lot of agencies, Newport being top of the list for the New York Islanders. Do you, how much of a factor do you think that that was knowing that 
there's that comfort from Bo Horvat's representation with the New York Islanders and with Lou Lamorello because, you know, outside of putting on the fish sticks at the All-Star, he hasn't skated with the Islanders yet, yet boom, here's this mega contract and he seems pretty comfortable. Right, yeah, obviously nothing happens, you know, in a vacuum and obviously Bo Horvat had a huge scouting report, you know, even before he landed yeah. on Long Island from Fort Lauderdale. I mean, you know, it got done Sunday morning, according to Lou's timeline. So really, it probably wrapped up somewhere in the wee early hours of the morning or, you know, probably even before Bo Horvat might have gotten, a, you know, it, it was probably conceptually done before Bo Horvat steps on the plane Sunday morning. And, you know, I, I think where that yeah. comfort level probably comes in from is Lou's, Lou's style of negotiating as well, which is sort of a, you know, a, a, a no BS form of negotiating. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't lowball people. He doesn't come in with a low figure and then figure he'll come on up. He gives agents a very honest assessment of what that, what, what you know, now the Islanders, formerly the Maple Leafs or the Devils before that, you know, a fair assessment yeah. of what that organization's valuation of the player is what they're willing to do and how it fits into the into the team's salary cap. So I, I, I think there's a transparency there, which is funny to say with Lou Lamarillo because there's absolutely no transparency <laughs> otherwise, right? <laughs> but I, I that's I, a great I, line. <laughs> I, I think in terms of like negotiating, there is sort of a transparency where Lou. Just, you know, he yeah. lays it on the line, and, and I'm sure that's very well respected by by the guys at Newport. So uh, a couple of things here. I, I do want to ask you, you know, what impact this will have now on the ice for the Islanders when we think of the power player right away. But how much do you think this decision, A, to trade for the player, B, the contract extension, how much of that is informed by the fact that, I'll just be blunt, they're in a new building and they want some playoff games, damn it. How much of a factor do you think yeah. that was in all of this? Yeah, no, ownership desperately wants a playoff series or, you know, preferably four playoff series in that building. But, yeah. you know, let's start with one, right? Um, and, and look, I, I do think this is a, a good thing for the Islanders because if Bo Horvat had gotten to the open market, you know, he's probably the number one, number two, most likely the number one target on the market. And the Islanders got this guy, right? So it, yep. it does show that the Islanders are an attractive destination for elite NHL players. And for years and years and years, you couldn't say that. So I, I, I do think that is hmm. important. And ownership, look, Scott Malkin and John Ledecky have recognized this, and they've invested a lot of capital not only into building uh, the, the, you know, the newest new arena in the league as of now. You know, Seattle yeah. obviously is a, a spectacular facility, but it was an existing facility. This is a you know, brand new production here, and it, and it's a gorgeous building, and they can sell that. And you know, if you ever took a tour of the Islanders' room, and even more so if you took a tour of the visitors' room at UBS Arena, it is 
it's like it's a selling point. You know, players come in there and go, "Wow, you know, two stories, the whole deal." The uh, it's so, and, and, but 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 beyond UBS Arena, they've also invested capital into a really really state of the art practice facility as well. And these are the things players look for. And you know, Long Island is, yep. you know, if if you have the money, Long Island is a very decent place to live. You know, they're good communities, the whole thing. So the Islanders are becoming a more attractive destination, potentially. I know they took a hit because they couldn't, you know, whatever happened with Johnny Gaudreau happened with Johnny Gaudreau. And that, you know, he didn't come here. And Nazem Kadri didn't come here. And and a couple of seasons before that, Artemi Panarin did not come here. But uh, when all is said and done, yeah. Bo Horvat did come here. Matthew Barzell did agree to an eight-year extension to stay here. And, and, and that type of stuff does get noticed around the league. And I would suspect, you know, having, having players like that locked up, uh, even though the salary cap will be an issue, the Islanders are going to be more attractive now to other players hitting the market. I believe all of that. I, I think that, you know, there are some contracts that are uh, a magnet, I think, for other players. I think you're bang on about Barzal. I think that was a huge one for them. And I think this one, um, like if you're, a, if you're a free agent this summer and, listen, you win Stanley Cups down the middle, whether it's your net minding, whether it's your centers to say nothing of, of having a healthy uh, blue line, you can look at this Islanders team now and say, okay, so up the gut they're looking at Barzal and Horvat. That's really good. Uh, you look at young defensemen like Noah Dobson, for example, and you think like, okay, and Adam Pellick is uh, is elite, and then you have Ilya Sorokin as well. All of a sudden, at every single position now, you got players, and the fact that they're yeah. committing long term, I'm with you. That's a that that's definitely a magnet. You know, one of the things that I mentioned off the top and. I don't know how much I should put into this, but but it is kind of a drag. Like I was a huge, as a kid, I was a huge uh, Edmonton uh, Islanders fan from that dynasty era. Um, yeah, man, yeah. I love like just about everybody on that team, and I, <laughs> I get it. You know, number fourteen is still in circulation. I just right. Really why why is that, Bobby Bourne that... not retired? Yeah, right. <laughs> You know, I I just like can they have please retired it by now? It's it's that's you know the final nail here. Like they're not going to yeah. retire fourteen. I don't know if there's any I don't know if there's any question attached to this one, Andrew. Other than this is just me complaining on a Monday that it's a drag that number fourteen is no. not being retired for Bob Bourne. No, 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 no. I I've heard that from Islanders fans. I've heard that from media. I, you know. People, you know, people want to know why Bobby Bourne. Is, you know, if John Tonelli gets his jersey retired and not taking anything away from JT because you know if you ever saw what JT meant to the fabric of that dynasty team he deserves his his jersey retired right but Bobby Bourne was just as integral and (laughs) look I I, you know I'll be honest with you because uh, we, we talk about the Islanders ownership and they are really 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 good with the alumni which is something that was lacking uh, unfortunately, before they took over, and I would, I would shy away from saying, even though Bo, Bo Horvat is number fourteen right now, that that puts the nail in the coffin of Bobby Bourne getting his jersey retired. Because look, Andrews Lee is still wearing twenty-seven, and that came, you know, he was wearing it as John Tonelli's twenty-seven went up to the Raptors. 
So, uh, you know, uh, I, I, I think there's uh, those legacy guys, you know, are, are, are huge, obviously, to this franchise. But at a certain point, uh, you know, this is a different point, but at, at a certain point you have to – marketing has to stop focusing on what happened between 1980 and 83, and they need something – for now, I mean, so many Islander fans weren't even close to being born during the dynasty years. It's generations after that. You have to be able to sell what's going on now. And, and that's why I think this this is a, a, a pivotal moment here for the Islanders. But to your point, yeah, I, I, I think Bobby Bourne's 14 should be in the rafters. And I think all those dynasty guys would tell you the same thing. And we all know how tough a year, like the last 12 months have been for the Islanders alumni. I, I just think it would be a, a, a wonderful move. Um, okay, so tonight it's the Islanders and the Philadelphia Flyers. I think we look at Bo Horvat and the first thing we say is he's going to give that power play, which is, checks notes, 32nd in the NHL at 15.5%. Right away, that's going to get an injection. But what are you looking for tonight? And I say that knowing full well you know, the last time we saw these two teams mixing, it was uh, Delorier and Johnson. It was Martin and McEwen. No love lost yeah. here. And another interesting wrinkle now is the presence of Bo Horvat. What do you look for tonight, Andrew? Oh, well, I mean, specifically, we'll, we'll start with the power play. And, you know, you, you gave the numbers. Here, here's a better one. In their last 24 games, we're going back to December 10th, they are 3 okay. for 64, which is... Under five percent. I mean, under five percent is it's virtually impossible in the NHL. You know, just shoot the puck on net, yeah. and you know, a couple of pucks are going to bounce in off someone's butt, right? <laughs> so, um, <laughs> but but look, uh, uh, Bo Horvat's going to play the bumper position, and really, it's a it's a two for one on the on the first power play unit tonight. Because uh, uh, even though Lane Lambert says he's a game-time decision, Noah Dobson's going to be back tonight after missing four games. So you get Noah Dobson back as the quarterback on the first unit. You insert Bo Horvat uh, in the middle as a bumper there, and that's immediately a much better unit. So, But, look, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter the personnel. you you got to get pucks to net, and the Islanders don't do that enough. They play too much on the perimeter. But if that can be corrected, and look, Bo Horvat should be a puck magnet in the middle of that unit. So I think that improves yeah. things there. He's uh, he's also going to center the top line, which has been, you know, we talk about Matthew Barzell. Uh, interestingly, Barzi is going to be the one, you know, we, it technically slides over to right wing uh, on that line, yep. and they'll keep Horvat in the middle. And, you know, Horvat's a much better face-off taker than Matthew Barzell. They, you know, Barzi would admit that to you in a, in a second. And, and we talked to Barzi about it this morning. And he says there is going to be an adjustment. He doesn't really know what to expect. But I, honestly, in the offensive zone, I don't expect much to be different. I still think, you know, Barzell plays best with the puck on his stick. And, and his role is to, to loosen up the D and to find the cracks. And now he's got, you know, we, we've talked for years about Matthew Barzell needing a finisher. Well, he's got a finisher now. And, uh, you know, hopefully for the Islanders, it, it clicks and, and clicks very quickly. 
So the uh, the former member of the Vancouver Canucks now on the Islanders will be in the as they call it out west the Sedine spot the uh, the high bump yeah. position. Uh, looking yeah. forward to this one. Really appreciate your expertise and your insight. You're fantastic, Andrew. Great stuff. Uh, thanks so much and enjoy the Bo Horvat era beginning tonight as the Flyers <laughs> face off against the Islanders. Thanks so yeah, much for this, pal. You be I, good. I, Jeff, take care of yourself. Thanks for having me. There he is, Andrew Gross from Newsday, covers the New York Islanders. Tonight they'll face off against the Philadelphia Flyers. One of six on the board this evening. Before we get to break here, so it's the Islanders and the Philadelphia Flyers. So that's obviously, for the Horvat factor, really intriguing. For those of you who like your games, eh, particularly nasty and violent, eh, this might be one you want to have an extra little peek at. Um, Tampa faces off against the Florida Panthers. Paul Maurice, by the way, saying he's hopeful that Anthony DeClaire gets out of the no-contact jersey at some point this week. That's a shot in the arm for the Florida Panthers, getting him back into the lineup. The Cats, by the way, chasing those Islanders we just talked about, also Buffalo and Pittsburgh, for that last wild-card spot in the Eastern Conference in Tampa. I mean, going into the break, they were just flat-out great. Like, there are some teams, and Carolina comes to mind, too, that didn't want the All-Star break. It's like, no, 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 let's just keep playing. We're good, we're good, we're good. Carolina, one of those teams, ditto for the Tampa Bay Lightning. We mentioned the Flames and the New York Rangers. Flames had won the three of their last four heading into the All-Star break, and it'll be Jacob Markstrom in net tonight for the Calgary Flames, Vancouver, and New Jersey. Uh, Vancouver opening up some cap space. For deadline, placing Ilya Mikheyev on long-term injury. Anaheim and Dallas. I'm going to talk more about this in an hour or two. But in this game, Jamie Benn skates in game number 1,000. And as Joey Kenward uh, noted on Twitter today, he's the first player from Victoria, B.C. to skate in 1,000 NHL games. The Ducks, by the way, have won three in a row Going back to before the break, also the Minnesota Wild face off against the Arizona Coyotes. 16 members of the Minnesota Wild all took vacation together over the All-Star break. 16 of them went to Cabo. Phones away. Random player of the day, Kelly Rudy, hour two. Keep it here. Merrick Show across the Sportsnet Radio Network. Big guests and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Okay, welcome back to the program. Welcome to Hour 2. Glad to be back, although it sounds like Matty Marchese did his real best job trying to uh, get this job. I half expected to get back from Florida and the All-Star Weekend to see all of the uh, the radio and TV equipment taken out of my house and sent to Beaton, Ontario, where Matty lives. But nonetheless, Matty, great job, as I understand it. I listened to a bunch. I was even on once. I didn't think I'd spend 15 minutes talking about Link Gates with you, but there we were on Friday. Um, so listen, buddy, great job, and thanks so much for uh, keeping the lights on while I was in Florida. I do my best to keep the lights on, Jeff, but uh, no radio equipment and TV equipment has been delivered here. So uh, as you were, you will be back tomorrow. Okay. All right, very well. I'll fool him again for another couple of hours. Uh, random player of the day. So you had so you did Link Gates on Friday. Who did you do on Thursday? Uh no, Link Gates was Thursday. Danny Markov was Friday and Wednesday. Oh, I had him backwards. Sorry. Okay, Danny Markov, yeah. Oh, I love Tim Kerr. Oh, he was one of my favorites. Bad back. Tim, Tim, he, um, Tim, Kerr, didn't, didn't, Tim Kerr became my most, uh, the most interesting player that I've never seen. 
because of those numbers were Hall of Fame numbers and cut short by uh, shoulder and back issues. Well, you know why he had shoulder and back issues. He stood in front of the net and took abuse. That guy got pounded. Like, there are some guys that have really made a living out in front of the net, getting pounded and tapping in goals. Tim Kerr might be at the top of that list. That guy got abused on the regular um, in front of the net. Okay, so those are some good ones. Uh, Tim Kerr approved. Link Gates, always fun. Danny Markoff, you and I chatted about him on Friday. Uh, what do we have today, or rather, who do we have today for a random player? Uh, we have a former Hartford Whaler, which we always love uh, looking back on the Hartford Whaler stories, Blaine Stoughton. And this yeah. was actually submitted by two people, uh, Jared Huber and Mark York Square. So two people wanted to hear more about Blaine Stoughton. Okay. Um, Blaine Stoughton from uh, just outside of Dauphin, Manitoba, a place called Gilbert Plains. Um, Blaine Stoughton has the dubious distinction. You'll like this one, Maddie has the dubious distinction of playing on a team uh, including Wayne Gretzky in his rookie season and Gordie Howe in his final season. So Stoughton would have been on Indianapolis in the WHA during Gretzky's rookie year there and then played on the Whalers, as Gordie called it, a career in the NHL however many years later as well. I always thought when I was a kid, one of the coolest hockey cards I ever owned was a three-panel um, goals leader from the NHL from 79-80. The card came out in 80-81, reflecting on last season, and there were three players, all of them scoring 56 goals. There was Danny Gare of the Buffalo Sabres, Charlie Simmer of the Los Angeles Kings, and Blaine Stoughton of the Hartford Whalers, all getting 56. That was a really, really cool card. And Stoughton holds a distinction of being one of only two players in the history of the N- in the history of hockey, not just the NHL, in the history of hockey, to have scored 50 goals in both the WHA and also in the NHL, scored the 50 with Cincinnati, the Stingers. More on them in a moment, and also as you mentioned previous, uh, playing on the Hartford Whalers. We'll get to Mike Rogers in a second. Um, played his junior in Flin Flon with the Bombers. Reggie Leach would have been on his team. Scored 60 in 71-72. Old school WHL uh, fans. We'll love hearing this name, Patty Janelle, legendary coach, um, was a coach of Flynn Flon at that point. Now, in the WHA with the Cincinnati Stingers, he was part of lines with two very distinct names. One, he was part of what they called the LSD line with Richard LeDuc, Blaine Stoughton, and Rick Dudley, LSD, and then later joined a line called the Bunny Line with Greg Carroll and Peter Marsh. Do you know why they called them the Bunny Line, Maddie? I do not. Because they were all dating Playboy bunnies. I am not making this up. <laughs> he went from the LSD line to the bunny line. Sounds this like a long time. before, by the way, Blaine Stoughton met his, uh, met his wife. Drafted by the Pittsburgh Penguins, traded the Toronto Maple Leafs. Rick Kehoe goes the other way. Uh, was sent to the Miners in Oklahoma City. And at that point, he said, screw this. I'm going to the Cincinnati Stingers to make some money. Later to the Indianapolis Racer- Racers and then the, uh, the New England Whalers. When he gets to... The whale in the NHL, he's paired with Mike Rogers, who's a really underrated center. Like in that era, we think a lot about Gretzky and Curry and Trotche and Bossy and those great pairs. Mike Rogers and Blaine Stoughton together were outstanding. And you'll love this one, Maddox. I know you're a fan of the Cooperalls or the real CCM pro guards as they were. They weren't actually Cooperalls. But Blaine Stoughton played in and scored a hat trick in 
the NHL's first all-Cooperall game, Philadelphia Flyers against the Hartford Whalers, December 11th, 1982. Stoughton with the hat trick at the Hartford Civic Center. The Whalers win this one by a final score of 7-4. to And also, Stoughton um, scored the very first penalty shot goal in Hartford slash Carolina Hurricanes history, 1983, March 29th, against... Bob Sove, who used to form a wonderful tandem with Don Edwards uh, back in the Buffalo Sabres days. And one final thing, and I always love talking about trades like this. Um, so when Indianapolis traded Gretzky to Edmonton, it was cash deal. Uh, but the three players going to Edmonton, there was Wayne Gretzky, there was Eddie Mio, the goaltender, and Pete Driscoll. Now, the original trade was supposed to be Gretzky, Eddie Mio, and Blaine Stoughton going to Edmonton. But Edmonton, and I think Gretzky too, if you look at you know his history as well, how he has always appreciated and wanted toughness around him. Um, he wanted a tougher player, and the Oilers wanted a tougher player going along with Gretzky. So instead of Blaine Stoughton, it turned into Pete Driscoll. Um, that is what I know about Blaine Stoughton. Maddie, anything you want to fill in on that one? Yeah, I actually wanted to add, because you talk about toughness and you know, I was reading an article about Blaine Stoughton, and, and he actually he actually received a 29-game suspension in his second year of junior hockey. Paul Baxter. And, and I wonder if that changed the thought process of Blaine Stoughton and how he played the game, well, which may have been the reason why he was not traded to the Edmonton Oilers. Well, didn't he get like a 20-game or a 10-game or 15-game suspension for a stick swing with Paul Baxter? I've been Hartford, and I think Baxter would have been playing on Pittsburgh at that point. Uh, Maybe he got like a pretty sizable sizable suspension. Yeah, so he had this. The one he got was for a spear in junior hockey. That was a 29-game. Now, imagine imagine in the 1970s how bad the spear would have to be if he got 29 games full. (laughs) Did he take his head Um, off? Like, I don't know. That's a very good point. That is a very, very good point. Um, So that's Blaine Stoughton. You know, there's a lot of, and I mentioned Mike Rogers as well a second ago. There's been a lot of players from that that era that were outstanding and put up really big numbers. I know we focus on the Gretzky-Curry combination and Trache and Bossy, but like I said earlier, Stoughton and Rogers they were excellent. Like Hartford never ultimately had the depth to really compete or go far, but at the at the high end, like they were a really good team and a fun team to watch too. So I was glad when uh, when Stoughton popped up on the uh, the random players. That, who was it that sent the, that uh, the Stoughton request in? That was Jared Huber and Mark York Square. Two people sent it in. Very good. Thank you, two people, including Jared Huber and Mark York Square. Uh, if you want to nominate your random player of the day, choose it. Any era, any player, all good. JM Show at sportsnet.ca. Okay, uh, there you go. Random player of the day is uh, has come and gone. Blaine Stoughton was the, Stash, by the way, was his nickname because he always had the uh, the great duster. Uh, from that, we turn our attention now to the Calgary Flames uh, in action tonight against the New York Rangers. Jacob Markstrom gets the start. Uh, you can watch it on Rogers Monday Night Hockey. Hear from the NHL on Sportsnet and Hockey Night in Canada. Someone who probably will have something to say about Blaine Stoughton is uh, is Kelly Rudy. Uh, Kelly, how are you today? 
<laughs> I was laughing when you guys were talking about those two gentlemen because they were terrific. <laughs> and, uh, oh, my gosh. Uh, but <laughs> I love how Maddie said that about what kind of slash does it have to be in the 70s? <laughs> <laughs> That's a very funny line and very accurate, by the way. But, you know, I think a, a guy like uh, Mike Rogers in today's game, with yep. uh, you know different rules and because he wasn't a big man yep. but he certainly flourished in his time because of his skill in today's game he would be considered an absolute superstar now i know in hartford and uh with new york he was highly regarded but i don't think uh he was given the yep. credit that he should have been right i mean those two guys oh, yeah. were uh, terrific players and uh Mike Rogers, I'm happy to say, you know, I've, I've seen Mike over the years in Calgary, right? Because for the longest time he was doing mm-hmm. color for the flames and just a wonderful human being. Yep. And uh, man, great memories to share, Jeff. Yeah. And you know, I, I, I mentioned Flynn Flon bombers and brought up Patty Janelle a couple of seconds ago. And I'm like, ah, oh, Kelly's going to yep. love hearing that name on the radio. Once upon a old, some great old, old coaches. <laughs> and the, the one thing, and you listen, you, you can speak with authority on, on this one. One, one more thing. And then I'll leave all the Blaine Stoughton talk and we'll focus on okay. the flames. You know, when he went, when in the WHA, when Stoughton, um, was playing with the Indianapolis Racers, and Gretzky got traded from Indianapolis to Edmonton. It's Gretzky, it's yep. Eddie Mio, and it's Pete Driscoll. And the original mm-hmm. player in the deal, instead of Driscoll, was Blaine Stoughton, but Wayne slash the Oilers wanted a little more toughness uh, around Wayne Gretzky. And that's one of the right. things that I've always, and I don't think we talk about it, I think, enough, is, you know, Wayne always appreciated those guys, and always, like, I mean, he wanted Marty to go with him to Los Angeles. Like, yeah. and you played with Wayne. You can speak with authority on this one. Like, mm-hmm. he really saw that value of having those types of players around him. So maybe we shouldn't be surprised that, you know, Blaine Stoughton in that trade turned into Pete Driscoll pretty fast. Okay, so, you know, speaking of Wayne and how he appreciated that uh, aspect of the game and those certain players, uh, it was not surprising to know and to watch Wayne around all those guys, whether it was Marty or Jay Miller or whomever. Uh, He really, really loved to be around those guys uh, off the ice as well, right? He really, I thought Wayne made a point uh, of making those guys feel really welcomed and important in the dressing room and on the ice. But it was, uh, it was really cool to see for, you know, I, I must guys like myself and that he kind of, we did our own kind of thing. Like Wayne and I, of course, socialized yeah. a million times, but it was, I thought it was a real conscious effort by Wayne to make sure these guys knew how valued they were within the organization. And that was really cool to watch. Yeah, he was. Uh, he, he always valued that role, and uh, and, mm-hmm. and I'll just be blunt. Those guys are like, uh, Jen, I mean, listen, you've been around teams that have had a lot of the players that 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 filled that bill. Sometimes those guys are the most fun guys on the team as well. Like really, like well, they're just great guys to hang around with. Well, and one guy that comes to mind, Jeff, is uh, Warren Reichel. So we were a pretty good team in the early nineties. Oh yeah, and the year, <laughs> yeah, and you you've known Warren forever, right? And I'm sure you've had him on the show. Oh, yeah. He's just an amazing oh, yeah. human being. But the thing that really stood out yep. to all of us, and I, uh, what I really admired about Warren, he came right in and stepped in and was not intimidated coming into our dressing room whatsoever. He he felt like he fit in right away. And the best part about Warren was his sense of humor, and he'd take shots at everybody, and I mean everybody, and nothing was offside. <laughs> and it was so funny because we just laughed and laughed and laughed with Warren, uh, and he took shots at Gretz, and he just, he just fit in immediately. But the important part about that 
not only did he fit in well, Jeff, he played great. Like he was tough as nails. I mean, yeah. Marty, of course, was the the top guy on the on the block, and everybody yep. knew it. But Warren, I mean, he was as tough as they can be for a guy that size. So he he added an element that we needed, and uh, no surprise, we went really far that year. You know the first, the first. It's, I, I love talking about Warren Reichel because, like, what a great personality, just wonderful guy. Yeah. When he, uh, when he owned Windsor, so the Memorial Cup was in Red Deer, and yeah. I was going out for breakfast with Todd Warner and Colby Armstrong, and Bundy was there, uh, Warren Reichel. Yeah. And yeah. so he waves us over, and we sit down, and we're having having breakfast with Warren, <laughs> and we're talking about this defenseman that he has, this guy by the name of Mikhail Sergachev, and yeah. Sergeyev goes on to be a first-round draft pick, etc. Star Tampa, all of it. Yeah. And he's describing the skill set, and he's like, "I'm like, yeah, you know, I've seen it before." He's like, really calm, like ice water running through his veins, and I'm like, "Oh, the guy skates like he's in a rocking chair," is what Bundy says, and that gets a couple right. of giggles. Like, that's great. And then he goes, yeah. and he's got five different shots. He's got the wrister, he's got the snap, he's got the slap shot, he's got the sifter, he's got the. And we're like, "What? What's a sif? I got I Kelly. I had, and I'm like, Colby, have you ever heard that? Like, Todd, have you? No. What is a? And he's he spent like ten minutes explaining what a sifter was. Now I see it everywhere. But Bundy was the first guy that's like, oh, that's it's not a wrister, it's not a snap, it's a sifter. He just sort of sifts that little thing in. I got all day for Warren Reichel, Kelly. Oh, so yeah. thank you for bringing up Bundy's name. And I always think well, of you a know sifter. what's also and I can't look. You at know what's all right? Go ahead. Sorry, Jeff. Go ahead. No, no, you go, you go. Oh, no, what I love about Warren still is that we stay in contact and I'll be doing a Flames game, right? Like tonight, as an example. Yeah. And during the game, I'll get a text from Warren saying, hey, I had this kid in uh, Windsor or I've been following this kid and now Warren's scouting. So he'll give me like a little background on some kids every once in a while. And it's fabulous, right? Like that's coming from a guy that knows and uh, during the game. And so if there's a, a little break, I'll send him a text back. Thanks, buddy, and hope you're doing well and stuff. So it, it's really cool how we all remain in contact that way and help each other. Absolutely. And his son was a real good player too, Kirby Reichel. Uh, specifically, yep. Junior was was real good. Um, you know, you know. now that I – hang on. Quick little one, one aside here. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I had Brent Thompson on the show, and we talked mm-hmm. obviously about Tage, who's just become yep. like, my goodness, what a what a player. Um, yeah. Did you? I guess no one can really predict what a what a kid's going to be like. You, you, you know, you never know. But do you have a thought on on Brent Thompson and Tage Thompson? And where I want to go with this is this idea. So Elliot and I were talking yesterday about All Star and what different things they can introduce. And what are the mm-hmm. things that I think we all enjoy? We saw this with the the Kachucks at uh, at Fort Lauderdale. Um, I think what's always interesting to people is. Players, like second generation players, guys who had, you know, uh, dads that played in the National Hockey League. Yeah. Do you think there would be any interest at all, just as part of the skills competition, to have either the sons or daughters of ex NHLers competing? Oh my it, gosh, Jeff. Would that be of interest I've never to heard, Kelly right? I, I just love your. I just thought your about it yesterday. Like, you come from nowhere sometimes, and <laughs> and make us uh, you make us put on our thinking cap and go, hey, that might not be a bad idea. But you could fill uh, the rosters of both sides with that, right? Because uh, you're exactly yeah. right. There are so many kids uh, from NHL players, and I love the fact that you said sons and daughters. 
um, coming from a guy that has three daughters. So, <laughs> um, but I, 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 as you know, uh, Jeff, I played with Brent and uh, in L.A. and Brent, yeah, lot in L.A. He, he's yeah. from Calgary, yeah, and uh, he was the best way I could uh, describe Brent is that he played uh, with about as much enthusiasm you could possibly play with. Like he got a lot out of his career. I, I know he didn't play like a thousand games, yeah. but. Nonetheless, he gave it everything he had every single game. He always had this the, the biggest smile on his face. He'd come to the rink always smiling. Like, he was just a, a really good guy to be around. Now, I don't believe they had Tage yet when uh, we were playing together no, in L.A., so no. I can't say that I remember Tage coming around the rink and uh, skating before practice with us. But, but uh, yeah, it's really cool to see and just how well his son has developed. Amazing, really. You know, it's funny. I was talking to to Berkey a couple of years ago about you know sharing the ice with with superstars, and um, this is when uh, Patrick was born, who works at the NHL now, does work with mm-hmm. the Department of Player Safety. For he's going to be a, an assistant GM and maybe a GM one day in the NHL somewhere yeah. down the road. And he said Berkey said that he was in Vancouver, and I can't remember which team Wayne would have been on at that time. Maybe the Kings. And yeah. uh, he was out there with Patrick on the ice. And this is such a Berkey thing, hey, Kelly? So he said yeah. he's passing the puck with Patrick, and Wayne Gretzky walks on, uh, skates onto the ice. And Berkey yeah. said, I immediately skated off and let Patrick <laughs> play with Wayne. And then he said, and, and, and then, and then right? he said, he said, I have no business being on the same sheet of ice as Wayne Gretzky. So I got off right away. And Wayne's like, come on over, Berkey. And Brian's like, Wayne, I do not deserve to be on the same sheet of ice as you do. Forget it, bud. Okay, so I have a similar story. So in 87, uh, we're heading in the summer, and we're heading to uh, in Canada training camp for the Canada Cup in, I want to yep. say, July. And I'm visiting my mom and dad in Edmonton. And the phone rings, and my mom gets it, and she goes, uh, Kelly, phone's for you. And the guy on the other end of the line introduces himself as Wayne Gretzky. And here, I had been in the league, I want to say about five years, Jeff. And every single time we yeah. played against Gretzky, I was just I would watch him in warm-up. And I never did that for other players. But I, I couldn't take my eyes off him. Anyways, he introduces himself, and he says, hey, listen, we're going to be going to uh, training camp in Montreal in a couple of weeks. I've got some ice tomorrow at the Argyle Arena in Edmonton, would you want to come out and skate with me? And I'm thinking, oh, I, I, you know, I, of course, accepted. And I'm thinking, oh, there must be yeah. like, I don't know, 10, 15 guys. No, there's, I show up and the dressing room is empty. I put all my gear on, ready to go. Wayne shows up about 10 minutes before we're going to go on with his fiance at the time, Janet Jones. So, just the two yeah. of them. So Wayne and I are on the ice together. That's it. No, nobody else. I am so intimidated, Jeff, like beyond words. <laughs> and by the way, I had played with Trache and Bossy and Potvin and Smith and yeah. Gillies and all these superstars in New York. So I was aware of that sort of power, but not not like Wayne. And, and then Janet put on her skates, so she was on the ice. So just the three of us for about an hour, hour and 15. And I would, of course, I'm sharing this many years later. So wow. that's how powerful that, that day was or that moment for me. And just so cool to relive that. Uh, in fact, I'm going for a walk right now. And you gave me so much energy here in New York City for tonight's game, just going down <laughs> memory lane. I love it. 
Well, you know, here, here's another one of because uh, I, I can only imagine what's going through your head is it's just at that point, just you and Wayne, Wayne Gretzky on the ice yeah. and Mitch and Janet came on after. There's, yep. um, there's a little known story about 1972 and mm-hmm. the Summit Series. And after Canada loses game one uh, at the Montreal Forum, game two is a couple of days later at Maple Leaf Gardens. And uh, Team Canada is, you know, freaking out. They've just got, you know, it handed to them in Montreal in game one. And so yeah. they're essentially begging Bobby Orr to, just to see if he can skate. Like, can you do anything, Bobby? Can you, wow. like, you know, just give, just give it a shot? So Bobby right. agrees that he'll try it. And practicing before Team Canada... Oh, sorry, practicing after team, after, no, practicing before Team Canada were yeah. the OHA, now the OHL, the OHA Toronto Marlies. And okay. the third string goaltender from the Marlies stayed on the ice to take shots from Bobby Orr to see if he could go. <laughs> and that goalie, you're going to love this one, Kelly. Yeah. That goalie later went on, went on to fame in Canadian music as Greg Keeler from Blue Rodeo. You got to be kidding me! I didn't Stayed know that. Stayed on the story. ice That's in seven, it, in seventy-two. He was, and can you imagine? Like you're Greg Keeler, you're a third string goal. You're what, sixteen, seventeen years old, and yeah. you're out there with Bobby Orr on <laughs> Maple Leaf Gardens ice just to see if Orr can join Team Canada. Talk about what must oh be going through gosh. your mind as a goaltender, eh, Kel? Right. I I can't imagine, and I, you know, he's probably never <laughs> seen a shot like that or a release like that, and he's probably trying no. to figure that out. Right? I mean, that's like when I see for the first time or Gretzky, I'd never seen a release like those. And and you're trying to get your head around it and and you have no idea what's happening in front of you. Nothing. No idea. Just wild. Um, Okay. So 20 minutes in, now we're finally going to talk about the Calgary Flames. (laughs) Um, Okay. uh, Four-game road trip for the Calgary Flames kicks off tonight. Jacob Markstrom gets the starts. For the Calgary Flames, they play against Detroit a little bit later on this week, but it starts tonight yep. against the New York Rangers. And you know, I'm curious your thoughts of, first of all, the decision to go with Markstrom over Vladar first game back from All-Star. Okay, so I was thinking about this, and uh, it you know, it, it looks like an easy decision, right? Uh, Vladar's 10-0-3 uh, in his last 13 games. Uh, and so on the surface, that would look like, okay, that's easy. Um, and by the way, everybody knows they have to get marks from going and, and they will, I mean, he's a quality oh, yeah. guy, Jacob, but the, no, the underlying numbers, in fact, would suggest that Markstrom's playing better, but he's not getting any, uh, run support whatsoever. So if you look at the numbers, right. uh, Jacob Markstrom's goals against and save percentage are better than Dan Vladar's over the last stretch of uh, games, but Vladar gets points, right? And so you have to go. I mean, the Flames are right on the the edge of the wild card spot, so you got to go with the guy that's getting you points. But there is going to be a turn here at some point where Jacob Markstrom is going to get on a run where he's getting run support and he's going to get some wins and valuable points because he's just too good. I mean, mm-hmm. he started off okay, and uh, it seems to me, and I've been around him a little bit, he's a guy that really, really cares, and he puts so much pressure on himself, and that's a quality, right? But sometimes uh, when you get in your own head and put so much pressure on yourself, and you're talking to a guy that used to do that as well, that sometimes you got to get out of your own way and just go and play. Um, safe to say, Kelly, and again, I've never played a single game uh, at the <laughs> NHL level. Safe yep. to say, easier said than done. Like when when you're right in the middle of it, yeah. 
you know what what's the old saying you know the the the, the brain is a a wonderful servant but a terrible master you know when oh, yeah. you, when you're in the yeah. middle of it man that's got to be so hard kelly okay so it's story time for between you and i today so i've got a story and i don't think i've ever shared this <laughs> one with you before so to that point okay. i was still playing for the islanders we had a home game uh and we lost and i i didn't play very well and so after every loss i was furious with myself right and I'd bow. I'd never play that poorly again. Anyways, we get on the bus after because we're busing to New Jersey for a game the next night in Jersey. Yeah, I get on the bus, right. and I, my, I'm just grinding away, and I'm furious. I'm mad at myself. Steve Conroy, whom I love, by the way, he gets on the bus and is a terrific defenseman for us. We got him and Richie Crom for uh, John Tonelli. Conroy comes on, and he goes into his overnight bag and pulls out a book and just starts casually reading. And I'm thinking... You jerk. Why are you not so mad? Why are you not as upset as I am? But the other, the good part of my brain is going, geez, I wish I was like that. Like you could just park a loss, get on the bus, <laughs> seem as carefree as possible, start reading a book, and <laughs> the game's behind you, right? And, and that was what I've tried to master for years and years and years since. Steve Conroy taught me that, but I've ne- never been able to do it really. You know, I think of, uh, and, and I'm curious what your answer would be to this. I, when when you're mentioning this story as it relates mm-hmm. to goaltenders specifically, I think about I think about Carey Price, and yeah. how in the in the post game interview, if you just focused on his tone, his body language, like like all of it, like these are things that like Kelly, we're used to you talking about here. So this is my yeah. just amateur little brain. When I look at Carey Price after a game. And I don't if I don't know what the score is, there's nothing in the interview with Price post game that right. lets me know if he won or lost. Right. He exactly. is just so right in them. And I'm thinking to myself, I know fans love it when it's an emotional goaltender and smash the stick and wear your emotions because yeah. that's how fans yeah. feel. But as an athlete, isn't it a lot better just to be middle path, like not too high, not too low here, just right in the middle? Uh, totally. I so admire athletes like that, whether it's Carey Price or, you know, I'm always conflicted, though. Like, what do I like? And I guess it, it's by the personality and what gets you really going and how you can compete. I, I think of the legendary tennis player John McEnroe and how fiery he was. And I love that. Yep. And I kind of related to that. Cause it's kind of like my personality. I could play mad. I could play angry. I could play with heart or hate in my heart. Uh, but then you look at other guys like Yvonne Lendl, another equally talented, amazing tennis player, and there is no emotion to your point, right? You just you didn't know if he was winning or losing in the match, and you know whatever's good for your soul is the important thing. I I don't know where I'm going with this conversation, but it's it's fascinating to me. We're talking about the mind and how it affects athletes, and how we're all a little bit different, and we we have to find our way being different. Yeah, I, I don't. I think you're right. I don't think that there's one cookie cutter. You know nope. what worked for Kelly Rudy didn't work for Patrick Waugh, Didn't work right. for you know pick your Mike Vernon. Didn't work for whomever. Yeah. Didn't work yeah. for Don Brope. Didn't work. It, it, it does it doesn't yeah. matter. I don't think that there's one cookie cutter exactly. way. I think it's uh it, it's yeah. it's it's different for everybody. Um, quick thought on the Rangers. I mean, this is a this is a team that can 
that can score early and often. This is a team that can damage you. This is a team with an emerging star on the blue line in Ke'Andre Miller. Uh, this yep. is a team with some younger emerging stars as well. Capocacco's found a different gear this yeah. year. Yeah. Uh, Philip Heedle, um is real good. I know there's some questions still about Lafreniere, but listen, the goaltending's great. What do you think of the Rangers this season? We'll end on this one. All those things that you just mentioned, and uh, we haven't even mentioned Adam Fox yet. So uh, I just think oh that boy, this yeah. is a, a, right. So this is a really good team. Uh, I just watched the uh, press conference of Gerard Gallant, and uh, I think that uh, how relaxed he looks would be really reassuring if I'm a player on that team because I know we all know Gallant uh, is a a grinder, a guy that, uh, you know, he, he had a great NHL career because of his attitude and the way that he played that style, but he looks as though he's really calmed down as a coach. And uh, I think this team is excellent. And I think they have a good chance of going on a really good run. I'm really looking forward to the game tonight, by the way. And I, on purpose, I mentioned Adam yeah. Fox, because I love the young defenseman in today's game. We've never seen anything like it in, in the NHL uh, where we have all, talented young defenseman with Fox and McCarr and whomever you want to bring up that we've never seen the likes of ever in the history of the game. Uh, Quinn Hughes, more of them on the horizon yeah, too. Like right? Luke will be the the same way. Like it's 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 yeah. the new way to play. Like it's a new way to it play is. D. Like every three on two is a four on two, right? It's yep. create disruption and confusion in the offensive zone. Yep. I I know they refer to it as positionless hockey when the defensemen are jumping all over. It's fun, man. I'm with you. It's oh, it's, it's a lot it's of fun to watch. Uh, right? Yeah. And yeah. Uh, we will be tuned in tonight. Uh, Rogers Monday Night Hockey. Kelly Rudy along with me here. Uh, Kelly, thanks for... Listen, great stories. Uh, man, Mike Rogers, Blaine Stoughton, Brent right? Thompson. We went oh all over the gosh. place and we got to the, the game tonight <laughs> as well. Uh, enjoy your walk in New York and we will check back soon, my friend. You be well. You got it. Thanks, Jeff. Yep. Take care. There he is, the great Kelly Rudy. Uh, and man, uh, that's the one thing about when you do anything with Kelly um, is he has the ability to bounce because he's you know seen so much, and been part of so much, uh, and even you know started covering the game as an analyst while he was still playing. Right, Hockey Night in Canada would always bring Kelly Rudy in, and it was like the easiest. Tra- or it seemed like the I can't speak for Kelly, but it seemed like from a viewer's point of view, this is one of the easiest transitions that we had seen from player to broadcaster. Kelly makes it all look real simple. He's just that good. Uh, on that, we'll take a break. You're going to hear from Elias Pettersson in a couple of moments. Now, this is a, a part of an interview that Elliot and I did on the beach last Friday in Fort Lauderdale before the All-Star festivities. Um, And the entire interview, if you want to watch it, it's available at our Sportsnet YouTube channel if you want to hear it. We put pretty much the entire thing on this on today's edition of the 32 Thoughts podcast. We'll play some of it for you, get a thought or two uh, on Elias Pettersson and his position with the Canucks and his position in the game right now and the future and what that holds for Elias Pettersson. You'll hear all of this in moments. Merrick Show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network simulcast on Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet Now. Back in a moment. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with Ailish Forfar and Justin Cuthbert. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Hey, welcome back to the program here. Before we get to Elias Pettersson, 
want to mention, and I'll send him a note and try to get him on the program tomorrow. Congratulations to a number of people today for officially going into the American Hockey League Hall of Fame, starting with former president and CEO of the American Hockey League, Dave Andrews, who really, in a lot of ways, maybe saved is too strong, but I feel like I can kind of use it, saved the American Hockey League and shepherded the American Hockey League through a lot of challenges, one from another league, the IHL, and then oversaw essentially the merger of those two leagues as well. Um, and on a regular, if not semi-regular basis, a lot of franchise relocation uh, happening, always with the eye of, of getting one AHL uh, franchise per NHL team so the affiliate can have that type of dynamic. Um, Andrews was great um, for the American Hockey League, and a, a big congratulations to him as he goes into the AHL Hall of Fame. Also going in, a couple of players I want to mention, uh, Nolan Baumgartner, a uh, longtime defenseman, Keith O'Coin, who's a, a top-10 scorer, in the history of the American Hockey League. Congratulations uh, to these two gentlemen. Also, Dave Creighton, uh, who played for Rochester, Baltimore, and Providence, was a player coach for a while as well. Uh, big-time scorer in the American Hockey League, playing with uh, with these squads. And yes, he is the father, as we talk about second-generation players. He's Adam Creighton's father. That one's for you, Buffalo Sabres fans. And Bill Torrey, the late great manager. Uh, Bill Torrey goes in posthumously, um, part of the executive committee of the American Hockey League Board of Governors for over two decades. Uh, Dave Andrews, Bill Torrey, Keith O'Coin, Dave Creighton, Nolan Baumgartner. Congratulations. All going into the American Hockey League Hall of Fame at a ceremony today in Laval. Okay, so Elias Pettersson. So one of the interviews that we were hoping to do, Elliot and I, when we got to Florida was with Elias Pettersson. Um, you know, this in light of everything happening with the organization, A, you know, with the coach, with uh, Bo Horvat, who had already moved on by the time we recorded this interview last Friday, uh, to say nothing of something that's sort of out there, and might, many might say it's the elephant in the room, and that is the contract status of Elias Pettersson. Uh, Vancouver can negotiate an extension with Elias Patterson as early as next season. Um, so these were all in our mind when we got to Florida and tried to you know, piece together a time where we could sit down with Elias Patterson. Now, if you want to watch the thing on YouTube, it's pretty interesting because Patterson really takes the option of reclining. Elliot and I are under a little cabana on this you know, sort of sofa set up, and we had a big lounger out beside <laughs> for Elias Patterson, and he very much took the option, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, a very reclined and comfortable in his own skin, Elias Patterson. This is about five or six minutes from the entire interview. You can hear the full thing on the 32 Thoughts podcast that came out today or watch it on our Sportsnet YouTube channel. Here is maybe the next captain of the Vancouver Canucks, Elias Pettersson. I think the number one question that every Canuck fan has and wants to know is, are you happy? Like, they worry. They want to know that... <laughs> I'm happy. Th- uh, they want to know. Like, they want to know you're yeah, going to be a Canuck for a long time. No, I'm happy. I mean, I love I love the city. Uh, it's a great place to play. And obviously... The Canucks fans are passionate, and uh, and which I like. So yeah, I'm happy. There's a lot of talk about now that Bo Horvat is with the Islanders. Who the next captain yeah. of the team is going to be? And listen, your name, your general manager talked yeah. about it. Your name's top of that list. How do you feel about that? No, I feel good. I mean, we haven't had any discussion about that yet, but we have some about 
they wanted me to have a more leadership role and I'm very happy to hear that. But for me, I don't want to stress into anything because it's not the easiest task to do, to be a, to a captain. And I mean, I saw both firsthand <laughs> get all those questions after every practice almost and et cetera, et cetera. But, uh, you don't look forward to that? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I just want to, I just want to, when I make a decision, I just want it to be the right one. I don't want to stress into anything. One of the questions I wanted to ask you is, there's a lot of rumors about your relationship with JT Miller. Is it good or bad or what? How would you describe it? I want to hear it from you. Yeah, it's it's good. Uh, I mean, we had our differences maybe in some games, but I mean, he's a teammate that I respect. And um, yeah, he's someone I like to play hockey with. And, uh, and yeah, there's a lot of speculation, obviously, a lot, but uh, he's a teammate I respect. This is not an issue? It's not an issue. Okay. How would you describe him to people that don't know him? I mean, you've seen him on the on the ice. He's a skillful player, um, but he's a. Um, I don't know if if the emotional is the right word. I mean, he wants to win so bad, and sometimes he he maybe gets too hot-headed. Mm-hmm. If that's the right word, but he's he cares a lot and just wants to win. Uh, last year, no NHLers at the Olympics. World Cup has been postponed. When we finally do see NHLers at either a World Cup or Olympics, you're going to be a big part of it. Your thoughts on international hockey? NHL is one thing in the Stanley Cup, and then also playing for your country. How do you how do you rank those things? Stanley Cup, Olympic gold, World Cup. What's important to you? I'll say Olympic first, because it's been been going on for years and obviously there's so much history etc cetera, etc cetera. Um, I want to play Olympics such a big event and then uh, I'll say Stanley Cup after bigger win Finland or Canada Canada <laughs> really you'd rather beat Canada than Finland Canada is the, they say it's the home of hockey so but oh <laughs> putting me on the spot there, oh, but I also no, want okay. to. I also want to. You're not the first you know, Swedish player that we've asked that question to, and they've answered exactly the same. Yeah. We all think that all oh, the natural enemies are the Finns, and every Swedish hockey player we talked to said, "No, no, I want to be Canada." Yeah, I think. Yeah, obviously, it's always going to be the the, uh, the neighbor rivalry with Finland, but Canada usually comes out on top on the big tournaments. So, yeah, your game. Is there anything you look at and say, that's what you're going to see next, or this is what I'm going to start doing more of and better? Um, obviously, I need to be better on the in the face of that. That's one thing I want to get better at. But in the game, I'd say puck protection, like be better at uh, small areas. I get knocked over easily sometimes, so I, need, I want to work on be able to hold off the fence, make a guy do a cutback, like extend uh, those on time. Uh, last one for me. Who on the Vancouver Canucks do you think doesn't get enough attention? I mean, you get a lot of attention. Obviously, we mentioned JT Miller. A lot of players that get a lot of attention. Quinn Hughes. Who do you think we should talk about more? <laughs> I mean, no. <laughs> My first thought was gonna the guy who just left, but uh, mm. <laughs> uh, but um, I think Shen, mm-hmm. 
the way he's uh, I mean now he's the all-time leader in hits I think he's a he's a veteran but like he comes with excitement of working hard every day uh, he's a great leader in the room um, always brings it would you ever say keep him don't trade him anywhere keep him I'll pass on that question, but always, <laughs> I, would, I would love to keep him. He's, uh, he's an awesome guy, but not making those uh, making those uh, decisions. Okay, not a general manager. Uh, that is Elias Pettersson. You can hear the uh, the full interview at the 32 Thoughts podcast. It came out earlier today, or watch the entire thing. Um, shot at the beach in Fort Lauderdale uh, at our Sportsnet YouTube channel. So a couple of things there. Um, the relationship with JT Miller. Look, we've all seen the videos, right, of Miller slamming his stick on the bench and Pedersen rolling the eyes a little bit or, you know, sitting beside Kuzmenko and just sort of, you know, shrugging it off like, okay, calm down here. Um, JT Miller is a different personality than Elias Pedersen. That's pretty obvious. Um, he's an intense player, and at times there has been, and seemed to have been as well, like this isn't, you know, telling tales from behind closed doors here. It's a type of friction between their two, and I think that's, you know, uh, one of those issues that you need to hear from the player specifically. Is the relationship okay? How do you mix? Keeping, keeping all in mind that I think it's, I think it's foolhardy to expect everybody on a hockey team, or any team for that matter, to all get along. And especially at the highest levels of sports, where you need to be fiercely individualistic and selfish. And I'm not saying selfish in a pejorative way. Like, I think you have to be selfish for self-preservation just to be able to make it to the NHL. When you have a bunch of people that have had to behave that way to get to the National Hockey League, it's inevitable that players are going to bristle against one another. And some types of personalities are simpatico and others aren't. It has seemed as if, and again, this is from a distance from me, okay? So I'll defer to people that are A, in that room, B, in Vancouver. It does seem as if there has been some type of bristling between Pedersen and JT Miller. He says it's fine. It's not an issue. That is from Elias Pedersen himself. The other thing, and again, this interview has just come out, so maybe it's, <clears throat> I just haven't seen it yet. It's not very often that we hear a player say, if I'm going to rank them, I'll take an Olympic gold medal over the Stanley Cup. Now, that might just be because I've, you know, grown up in Canada my whole life and, you know, been an NHL fan and maybe it's the, the perception is different overseas in Europe where that Olympic medal means more than a Stanley Cup, but it's rare. Like, it's very rare that you hear a player say, yeah, Olympic gold, like, that's, that's, the, that's the ultimate. I, I don't think, even whether they mean it or not, I don't think a North American player on an NHL team would say, yeah, you know what? Stanley Cup is nice, but I'm really out for Olympic gold. I get it. I understand it. It's just unique to hear. To the point as well about Swedish hockey, about uh, Team Sweden, um, and how Pedersen says he'd rather win against Canada than Finland. A few years ago when Elliot and I talked to Victor Hedman, we asked the exact same question. You know, which team would you like to beat in the finals? 
in a gold medal game and without hesitation because we all thought Finns always going to say Finns. Here comes the Finns. Here comes the ratchet up the feud again. Right away, Canada. Like there have been a lot of other like it, it's it's still like that's the the dragon you want to slay. Um, we think that the Swedes you know really want to stick it to the Finns and they do, but still the big beast that they want to tame and the big dragon they want to slay uh, is still very much Team Canada. Again, the whole piece available at the 32 Thoughts podcast or at our Sportsnet YouTube channel. Uh, so a few things for this evening. Monday night, uh, that means Rogers Monday Night Hockey. And a couple of games for you, the Calgary Flames and the New York Rangers. Jacob Markstrom getting the start uh, for Calgary. Kelly Rudy making the point earlier on the show that Listen, he's a guy that they have to get going. Dan Vladar has been outstanding for the Calgary Flames. Dan Vladar has done everything that the Calgary Flames have asked him to do. But in the back of everybody's mind, it's he's been great, but we need to get Markstrom going. We need to get Markstrom to this level that we've seen Markstrom play at before. And I always feel bad putting too much stock in one series, but... I wondered what the Edmonton series was going to do long-term to Jacob Barkstrom. Um, so I don't want to say it's just that from what we saw last season, but I can't help but thinking that that is part of it. Uh, Nazem Kadri back in action after beating Connor McDavid at the, uh, the target shooting. Kadri was outstanding and gave us a really nice interview for 32 Thoughts as well. Uh, Kadri was really good at All-Star. So we'll see the Calgary Flames and the New York Rangers. We'll also see the Vancouver Canucks facing off against the New Jersey Devils. Uh, New Jersey's going to be one of those fascinating teams as well. And going into the break, they're playing really well. Not Carolina good because, well, face it, nobody was. Um, but that's a really good squad. Second in the Metropolitan right now, and we all expect Tom Fitzgerald to do something. And maybe that something is large. Maybe that something is Swiss. And maybe that something is currently playing for the San Jose Sharks. I don't think it's a stretch to think that there's been at least internal conversation and maybe we'll see some action between Tom Fitzgerald and Mike Greer to see if there's a fit there. Because it seems from a... From what the New Jersey Devils need for a playoff run and need for the postseason is a forward with not just skill, because the premium is always on skill with the New Jersey Devils. Like it's an organization that you know wants and cherishes and wants to bring in skill and wants to pride itself on being the most intelligent organization in the NHL by how they make their decisions. But they also know they need to be bigger. Like the New Jersey Devils, as good and as skilled as they are, you know, they have, you know, Jack Hughes, who may end up being the first devil and you know, this season uh, to eclipse the uh, the century mark and finally score 100 points because New Jersey has never had that player. Uh, a player like Nico Heischer, who should very much and will be very much in the conversation uh, for the for the uh, for the Selkie trophy to say nothing of what's happening on the back end, to say nothing of what's happening in net. Uh, a couple of areas that have really saved the New Jersey Devils at times this year. We still look at them and say, they still need more size. The skill is there. Check all the skill boxes. Timo Meyer, as the new age power forward, it goes a long way to answering a lot of the questions you have about the New Jersey Devils come postseason time. We shall see. Also, we shall see tonight the debut of number 14 for your New York Islanders, Bo Horvat. 
Centering a line that has Matthew Barzell on the right side. Interesting. In the bumper position, as Andrew Gross tells us, on the power play, the, the, the sputtering power play for the New York Islanders, currently 32nd in the NHL, firing at a not very impressive 15.5%. The power play gets a shot in the arm with the presence of Bo Horvat. And speaking of shots, this one could be a rough one too. The Islanders and the Flyers essentially, to be blunt, really don't get along. The last time these two teams met, there was plenty of fisticuffs and not much love lost between them. This should be a fascinating one for a number of reasons. Also on the docket tonight, speaking of rivalries and feuds, Tampa Bay Lightning facing off against the Florida Panthers, crossing our fingers that Anthony Duclair is inching closer and closer to making his return to the Florida Panthers lineup. Anaheim Ducks and the Dallas Stars. Congratulations to Jamie Benn who skates in game number 1,000. First player ever from Victoria, B.C. to skate in 1,000 NHL games. Ducks, before the break, by the way, had won three games in a row. Uh, the Minnesota Wild face off against the Arizona Coyotes. Coyotes making headlines yesterday, sending Dylan Gunther to Seattle of the Western Hockey League. You want to talk about loading up for a Memorial Cup run? T-Birds looking great. Uh, thanks to everyone who took part in today's program. A big thank you to Kelly Rudy, Andrew Gross, David Amber, General Nick for making it look good, Lance Kennedy for making it sound good, and Matt Marchese, as always, producer slash fill-in host. Back tomorrow.